You are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu forward slash Ellison Center. I'm ambassador of Latvia to the United States since summer 2012. And I believe we have approximately one hour uh, to talk and discuss a little bit on, specifically on, on our region, Northern Europe, Latvia is part of. And uh, I'm in our, our diplomatic service since uh, basically beginning when Latvia in 91 regained its independence, and since then we have been reintegrating ourselves with the West. Uh, for 50 years before that, we had a bit different history. Uh, in 1939, uh, two dictatorships of Europe, uh, Nazi Germany and Soviet Union, they struck a deal and divided Europe, mostly Central Europe and Eastern Europe, but as well some parts in the north, like Baltic states. Uh, and uh, so we experienced something what's, what's called 50 years of Soviet occupation in, in Latvian history. But before that, uh, uh, before I joined diplomatic service, basically at the age of, of 23, from university uh, desk, uh, there were no diplomats that time in Latvia. There were no army. There, was ju- there were just young people as well with uh, strong personal touch and affiliation to regain independence uh, without a, lots of experience because there was no such a country as, Lat- as Latvia during the Cold War time. And, and, and uh, I did study history. Uh, I began end of 80s and my focus was Northern Europe, uh, 100 years, specifically 17th century, uh, Swedish uh, expansion or, or, or rule in our region during 17th century Sweden was the most powerful nation in the Baltic Sea region not only in the, in the Baltic Sea region but as well they have been expanding in, in, in Germany and that was my main focus I never believed and thought that I would become a diplomat I rather preferred to work at, at university as, as, as a professor of history and uh, then I tried diplomacy in, in 93, I believe. I, I thought it, it was quite kind of boring kind of job. Uh, and I thought that I would just stay for approximately half a year, maybe a year, then I will decide what to do. And, and somehow I had stayed until, until now in, 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 in this business, what we call, well, international relations, Latvian uh, diplomatic service. Um, What I would like to say today, I, I, uh, there are several things. Um, I believe some of you have been to Latvia or might be planning to travel to Latvia. Uh, maybe some of you have met some Latvians. Certainly there are quite many Latvians living here in, in, in Seattle. Uh, and it's, there's no need travel to Latvia to meet Latvians. Basically, they are among you here in Seattle, and each of them, they, they bring their own 
story of, of the country and, and culture. But uh, my country, although uh, during last 50, well, 50 years of, of, of the Soviet domination was uh, um, erased from European political map and was not there, uh, Latvians as a nation have been considered and in many ways called because of uh, uh, well, political convenience or, or simply ignorance as Russians. Uh, but, 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 but I should say that, uh, well, these days, I think we are gaining uh, more and more understanding and, and, uh, and, and knowledge about uh, us. And uh, our history is very old one. It goes back to old, it goes through centuries, of course, and it's among the richest history, uh, histories and cultures in Europe. Uh, very often, uh, one of the challenges what a Latvian diplomat meets and Latvian person meets, meets as well these days, uh, that's a question about uh, our identity, uh, whether we belong to Eastern Europe, whether we belong to Central Europe, whether we belong somewhere else. And uh, I may say that until now there is misperception where actually Latvia is situated. Uh, very often we have been uh, uh, characterized as Central Central European nation, although it's not exactly that, like that. We are not in, in, the, in the center of Europe. We are in close proximity to nations like, like Poland or, or Germany, but we are not very Central European nation. Eastern European nation, well, if we're quite far away from Greece or, or those Eastern Europeans that are far away, uh, well, if, if we can... Uh, 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 Call uh, Belarus or or, or 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 Ukraine, Eastern Europeans. Yes, but we are not exactly in that region. And if you look just on a map, you see that. Well, the only logical answer is we're in the north of Europe. We are not Scandinavians. Uh, we are neither Swedes nor nor, nor Danes nor nor, nor 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 Norwegians. But we have shared many many commonalities. As a history student, I was very fascinated about one of the stories, what I read, and that went back to the uh, period of Vikings. Uh, one of the most famous Icelandic Vikings, Egil Skallagrimsson, when he arrived to Iceland and, and established uh, himself there, and he wrote a lots of beautiful literature being in Iceland, but he as well wrote a saga Egil's saga. And in this old piece of, 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 of uh, literature, he describes his uh, uh, trip to part of Europe, what, what today we know is western part of Latvia, Kurland. And uh, he writes in very detail about how he, how he and his mates had been met by locals, they had, had been captured because they had been looking for wives and, 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 and jewels, etc. They had been kept in, and imprisoned for some time. They managed to escape. Uh, and then they sailed back to Scandinavia, and from that they moved to, 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 to Iceland. And these stories really are there and, 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 and in each and every century. That, and and uh, 
physically, geographically, culturally, politically, Baltic states always have been very close with Nordics. Uh, and uh, we are part of the very same region, Northern Europe. Uh, and, and, and that is the line what me as ambassador uh, am trying as well to convey to my counterparts or, 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 or any person whom I meet who has an interest about us. Uh, so we are Northerners. And uh, of course, we, our background is a bit different. Although we have shared approximately 120 years with nations of today like Finns and Estonians and Swedes and Norwegians, well, we have been under the uh, one, two, three, four, five very same Swedish kings. And we had and our, our ancestors had been subjects to the very same Swedish kings during 17th century. Uh, Latvia was predominantly a Protestant Lutheran part. Uh, because of that, uh, Sweden was expanding in the region was, uh, as a military power. Uh, and, the and the role of, of my country in 17th century's Swedish realm was, well, we provided food, mostly grain and, and and, and uh, for Swedish troops marching through Europe in, in, in the 17th century. But when we read about the uh, different wars uh, in our part of, of Europe, 17th century, be absolutely sure that among all those Swedes, Swedish soldiers, you might be able to meet as well to find some Finnish names or Latvian names or German names. So it's, we were there and we were very closely uh, uh, related, engaged. And that stopped at, at the time when what's known in our history as the moment when uh, Russian Tsar, Peter the Great, managed to cut his window to the west. And he did it through the Baltics. Uh, he defeated Charles XII and he captured Swedish provinces, Baltic provinces. And since then, uh, well, approximately the same time, the same amount of years what we had spent together in 17th century with, under the Swedish kings, we spent the same time approximately under the Russian Tsars. The period of, 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 of Baltic nations or, or today's states under the Russian Tsars is not significantly longer period of time than what we have spent uh, with other nations together in, in, our, in our region. And, uh, well, and, and, and this period under the Russian Tsars lasted approximately, well, until, exactly until the end of the First World War. Uh, Baltic nations, because we had as well very strong German minority presence, and, and Germans through basically uh, 17th century, 18th century, uh, 19th century and, and beginning of, of 20th century, Baltic Germans were very, very important uh, group of people in, in, in the Russian Empire. In many ways, they have been really in charge of, of everything that was happening in, 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 in St. Petersburg. Uh, at the same time, promise what they received from uh, Peter the Great, when Peter opened his famous window to the west was that Peter promised that Germans would keep two things, language and, and, and religion, Lutheran, Protestant belief.
And that made an impact on everything what was happening next centuries in the Baltics until the very end of First World War, when uh, four European uh, empires crumbled down and small European nations, like, including in the northern part of Europe, like uh, Latvia or Latvians, Estonians, uh, Lithuanians, and as well Finns, uh, we managed to break out of, 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 of Russian uh, dominance. And, well, in three years' time, we'll be celebrating our 100 years of independence. Uh, and that's really an important uh, date for each and every nation in, in, in our region. Uh, we had 20 years, approximately, a bit more than uh, 20 years of in independent period in between the First and Second World Wars. I mentioned Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, or this agreement between Nazi Germany and, 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 and the Soviet Union. Uh, Second World War destroyed everything what has been built in, 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 in well, 20 years of independence. Uh, and 50 years under Soviet uh, occupation was, not, was a really very dark period of time. Uh, I believe that there were not too many people around the world that thought that at some point uh, Baltic nations again might become independent. One of the Baltic nations that I rather think, because of some characteristics, are very similar to, to other Baltic states, Finland, uh, managed to get through the war in a different shape they kept their independence. Of course, price was very high, but also, and, and, and still there are some, some, some uh, very clear marks uh, left in, in, in many things what, 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 what we can see uh, on, 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 on political decision-making in, in Finland because of the Second World War. But, but these days we are back, and we can really enjoy, again, the very nice period of, our, uh, of time when uh, Baltic countries, Nordic countries, Northern Germany, Poland, we can do something together again. And we integrate in, in, in many different ways these days. And uh, everything began, if it goes to Baltic-Nordic relationship, uh, I think Nordic countries, end of 80s, they made a very strategically important decision. They saw that Soviet Union was crumbling down, that something will be happening in the Baltics. And, and the idea of Baltic independence was not any more kind of uh, story of, of, of fantasy books, but, but, but it was happening. 86, 87, 88, the years what we call in our history as singing revolution, <coughs> in Baltic states. Uh, it, it was it clearly showed that, that Baltic states are going to be free again. And that was a question for Nordic countries, and uh, speci especially for those Nordic countries that are mostly involved in, in, in all sorts of affairs and businesses in the Baltic Sea region, how to address this change, to consider it a threat, or to consider an opportunity, uh, because while we shared, I mentioned, 100 years with, with the Swedes and Finns and Estonians, the very same kings, but it doesn't mean that we have, after that, we had been perceived as a very natural neighbor or, 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 or region that would, 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 would increase security in the Nordics. Uh, 
end of eight is uh, what what happened? Uh, well, very important decisions in in, in Stockholm and other capitals that Baltic, Baltic independence really matters for security of Nordic states. And it started with very, uh, very quiet and very, uh, 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 in many ways, invisible approach by opening uh, diplomat, not exactly diplomatic representations, but uh, consular offices in, in Baltic capitals in the 80s. There was a difference during the Cold War uh, in one aspect when it goes to Nordic countries and their attitude towards the Baltic. Uh, for instance, countries like Denmark or Norway never, never have recognized the occupation of Baltic states. Uh, for, and as well did United States never recognize the occupation. That was the reason why, for instance, during Cold War time, although we, there was no uh, real country, uh, Latvia, in Europe, but our embassy was very alive in Washington. It was working during the Cold War time. Soviets didn't like that. They wanted to close it down in Washington. Americans never let it happen uh, because of non-recognition policy of Baltic occupation. By the way, this year, on the 23rd of July, it's 75 years since this policy was adopted by the United States. And that creates very positive background in anything what we are doing together with our American partners. People in Baltic countries, and as well in Latvia, of course, they very much uh, remember this policy because it helped us to survive during Cold War time. But the attitude in the Nordics towards Baltic occupation was different. I mentioned Norway, Denmark, uh, countries never recognized the occupation, but Sweden, for instance, recognized the occupation of Baltic states. And that was a bit different, that created a bit different legal aspects how to approach the Baltic uh, states becoming independent. But, but I think the, strategically, uh, all Nordic capitals did very important, make, made very important decisions they clearly saw that if Baltic countries uh, get free again, of course that it might increase the security of Nordic countries, because physically the border of Soviet Union would, would, would move a little bit further east, and provided that Baltic states are, would be able to integrate or reintegrate, rather reintegrate than integrate with the West during next 10, 15 years, that would bring additional benefits and what we experienced, we experienced the uh, opening of, 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 of scholarship programs for Baltic students immediately. It was not yet the end of Soviet Union, but by the end of 80s, lots of lots of Baltic students started to receive scholarships from Nordic states. So we were able to travel to Nordics, including myself. We did study there and we learned something different, what we have never seen in our lives, so, uh, open democratic societies, how does, did it function? Uh, in 91, there was a breakup of Soviet Union, and by that time, I think there was absolute clarity that, well, Nordic countries should very deeply engage in everything that was happening in the Baltic states, uh, either helping us to build a real functioning market or rule of law society, democratic institutions, 
uh, our national currencies, many things that were relevant for 90s. And it's impossible to separate Nordic countries from anything what was happening in the Baltics. And that kind of engagement, that was historically unprecedented at that time. Uh, we, despite the fact that we are neighbors and we're in the same region, I think 90s produced really very profound, real integration uh, among two sides of the Baltic region, Nordics and the Baltics. Uh, and why did it matter? Uh, well, why does it matter today? Uh, you know the de uh, developments in, in Europe these days. Uh, it seems that development in, in Russia has reached, again, kind of the, ch the, the curve that when they have changed, again, they're, they're uh, kind of rather engagement with the West policy to, towards re-engagement with the West. And that might stay for a very, very long time. Uh, for that has produced the war in Ukraine. That has produced very significant geopolitical change in Europe. Uh, there is no European nation that I, I believe can be safe or spared these days. Uh, what we should take into account realities on the ground. Developments what we see in Ukraine will not stop on the border between, let's say, uh, Poland and Germany, or in between border between Latvia and Sweden. I think we. Developments are crossing these borders, and it's very obvious. Uh, why did it matter, this engagement of Nordic countries in the Baltic case? First of all, well, we had this window of opportunity for our, uh, to not only reclaim our independence, but to build a, a real functioning society and country. Uh, and without Nordic engagement, uh, it would be, I think, quite impossible in 90s to reach a stage where we are today. Uh, well, we began from the very same starting position in 91 uh, with other uh, former Soviet republics, uh, not only Baltics, but Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, Azerbaijan. 20 years later, we have a situation when Latvia is the presiding country of European Union. Uh, well, we are in charge of a bit more than 90% these days of all business EU is doing, starting from environmental policy, ending with uh, fight against terrorism, uh, digital market, etc. So that's a responsibility of Latvia, a responsibility for, of, 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 for the region that's the biggest trading block in the world and, and really a very important partner to the United States, strategic partner. Uh, what we see happening in Ukraine, that's a bit different story. And the question is why? Uh, we began from the same position in 91. How did we manage that we have succeeded and we have a different situation now? And, and, and there are countries that did not succeed. And the answer is very simple. Well, we, we of course, we went through a very important process of transformation of, of, of states, or building of the states in the 90s, uh, there was much low, lower speed and interest to carry out these reforms, very important reforms, in, in other countries, including Ukraine. And there was less support from the neighbors 
Ukraine, perhaps, and other countries what we have experienced in the Baltic region. And that has produced, has produced this very, very clear difference. Uh, well, we began with complete restitution of properties. There was no thing like private property in Latvia in 1990 or 1991, first half. Everything was under the state control. We had no free market. Uh, the, one of the first laws what, what our state adopted was complete restitution of properties. Then we managed to unbundle our currency from rubble, rubble, Russian ruble zone. We created our own currency in three years' time. Uh, we privatized properties uh, and, and uh, we introduced uh, uh, institutions responsible for uh, observ observation of how, how human rights legislation is implemented and how, they, how human rights are uh, honored in, in Latvia. Uh, and we strongly believe that besides these very important reforms, economic reforms, legal reforms, military reforms, that as well reforms that would mean more human rights, uh, open society, free trade. Uh, perhaps we were naive, we were young, very young at that time, but we saw it, mat it mattered. And for us to uh, have a, a human rights society, rule of law society, meant absolutely the same as to have a free functioning market or, or our independent army, etc. And uh, in 2004, after these reforms, Latvia joined European Union and NATO. So basically we are now 11 years have been part of, of, of the West. We reintegrated with the West 2004. And uh, so that's an advantage. And, 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 and of course Nordic, Nordic support has been of great, great value. What happened in 2004, because everybody saw that there is the end of history, that everything was stopping and, and Baltic states had reintegrated with the West, were part of NATO, part of EU. There was perhaps no need, people were thinking, to really to support still our countries that were still in transition in many ways, especially when it goes to uh, open uh, media space, information space in Latvia or, or other Baltic states. And although we had strong presence of, of, of especially Swedish media in Latvian territory, uh, Swedes withdrew when it goes to media ownership of our newspapers and, and uh, in, in mid of, of, of 2004. And what it has created, it has created as well, uh, as well negative consequence because today when we analyze the threats coming, uh, well, from Russia, and activities in, in uh, Russian military activities in Ukraine. Uh, one area where we are, fa all of us are facing, including uh, my American colleagues, we're, we're facing what we call uh, hybrid warfare uh, elements and very, very blunt propaganda machine, lie machine spread through state controlled Russian media these days. Either it's Russia Today agency or, or Sputnik that recently start, started its work uh, in more than 30 countries and uh, and I think we there is our weakness of as, 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 as uh, democratic 
and open societies these days because if there is a dictatorship that possesses lots of lots of resources and ability to buy in into different kind of media uh, uh, outlets or, 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 or buying newspapers or, or advertisements, etc. And, and as well having ability to register it as purely Western media companies that might not be closed down. Or, uh, we clearly see that there are lots of lots of lies these days coming from these media, trying to, uh, in our case, to, to tell that, well, we are small, we are, uh, we are not able to defend ourselves, and that the situation has changed, that Americans are trying to do ma many ugly and nasty things in Europe these days. So that's what we are facing. And uh, I, I do believe that this Nordic-Baltic relationship as well will produce some kind of, of stabilizing elements in, in, in our region. Uh, I have spoken for approximately half an hour. I know that you are very busy young people. And I would love to engage with, with you. Well, if you have any questions, uh, I would be more than happy to answer and, and more directly and talk to you. Thank you so much. Lithuania was the last pagan country that was Christianized. Uh, approximately 50, 60 years later than, 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 than Latvian people Christianized. But Christianity to Lithuania came by Poland. Christianity to Latvia, although there are very strong uh, archaeological uh, proofs that perhaps the first Westerners that came to, to Latvian territory came from Denmark, or rather from uh, today's Lund, although that time it was Denmark. Uh, Christianity as a, uh, came and stayed in Latvia, uh, well, from northern Germany. Uh, Latvia was created as a, as a country or the or, or, Part of Latvia as, as a country was created by, by uh, not by Latvians living on Latvian soil, I think, at that time, but uh, smaller countries, uh, mostly uh, real, uh, countries of, 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 of uh, German Roman Catholics or, or, or Crusaders that had left uh, Jerusalem when Salah had uh, uh, won a battle over the Jerusalem. Uh, 
part of Crusaders, Teutonic Knights, part of the Teutonic Knights found their place in Latvia, and they established uh, this country of religious order, what at some point was called Terra Mariana, or Maryland, uh, in Latvia, and mostly all the most important issues for many centuries have been uh, really sorted out and dealt by Germans. And when, uh, when Reformation started in Europe, uh, Martin Luther and G German Lutherans, they found very strong support among Germans living in the Baltics. Well, in Estonia and Latvia. Of course, not in Lithuania, because it, there was nothing to do with Germans at that time. And that's a reason. That creates, we have similarities when it comes to language. Well, we speak Latvian, Lithuanian, we speak Lithuanian, languages are very close. Uh, it is the same uh, language uh, group, Baltic languages. There was a third Baltic language uh, that was Germanized, called Prussian language. If today people speak about Prussia, people think of Germany, or Germans. Russians were the Balts, like us. They were Germanized a long time ago. So that's a, that's a reason. That, that, that's fascinating that the, the Latvian and Lithuanian language um, <coughs> mentioned, but then um, in terms of religion and other, other historical things, it's Latvia and Estonia that haven't mentioned. Yes, because that was, until the very long time, it was basically the same the two elements of one of the same country, Terra Mariana or Livonia. Uh, and that happened only during the very end of, of Swedish kings, uh, that, that uh, Swedish, uh, I believe it was Charles XI, who actually created this Baltic, uh, Lat Latvian part of, 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 of Livonia and Estonian part of, of, of Livonia, separate. Until then, we have been basically living as Latvian and Estonians in the same country through centuries. Although languages are different. Um, so, not too long ago, we were fortunate enough to host the Estonian ambassador as well. And he said, in comparison to Ukraine, that he felt the number one uh, factor in their success was removing the communists um, from power. Uh, so they wouldn't have influence over the future of their government. And I was wondering if you felt as though that was, uh, if that happened in Latvia and if that was a similar source of success. Well, it's absolutely right. Uh, I mentioned reforms. And uh, of course, there were more reforms needed than just removing communists from power. But, but among the most important uh, elements of reforms, of course, was, uh, was our policy that banned communists uh, or, or former KGB people or high-level or mid-level Russian military people to take any sorts of, 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 of positions, basically, uh, either within a public administration or army or, 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 or diplomacy. So that was done uh, immediately when we regained independence. Uh, some European nations like uh, Central European nations, they went a bit different way. I think it's impossible to find uh, diplomats, for instance, in our diplomatic service that had studied in, in Soviet diplomatic academies, uh, simply 
we're not really, it would be wrong thing to do. Uh, we had to do something, we had to have a bit quite a different diplomatic service or, or state administration. And, and, and these people were banned from joining. Uh, but if you look on other countries like Hungary or, 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 or Czech Republic or, or Slovakia, that, that, that's not been the case. I'm not saying that they are doing worse or, or we were doing something absolutely right, but as a policy, I think it was absolute must that had to happen. Uh, and it hasn't been the case in Ukrainian uh, situation, at least until very recently. Now they are changing, now it's different, but, but still lots of, lots of challenges. <coughs> UN? Yeah. Well, we joined UN in 1991, in September. Uh, well, we have been member of, of, of League of Nations before the war, and, uh, and of course, but it didn't help us. <laughs> we were neutral. We declared our neutrality in the end of the 30s. We said, well, we don't want to fight anybody. We're just peaceful, small nation. Please leave us alone. If Germans wa wanted to fight Russians or Russians, Germans, please do that, but not on our territory. We're neutral. It didn't help. <laughs> and we got all the wars possible during the, 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 the Second World War. Uh, we joined uh, uh, United Nations immediately when we regained independence in 91. And uh, then we restored our constitution of 1922. That's the sixth oldest constitution in the world. Uh, so we didn't create a new constitution, so we tried to build on, on, on the country that existed before the war that was occupied. So it's like 1918 considered like Paris? Yes, 1918, yes. Uh, in uh, 2008, uh, NATO uh, made two decisions. One, the principle to invite Georgia and Ukraine NATO did not offer either one a membership action program, which they offered Latvia. So I have two questions. What was the Latvian position in 2008 in regard to those two NATO actions? And then the second question, did those actions contribute to the current crisis uh, in Ukraine? Well, thank you really for very, very good and precise questions. I think uh, when it comes to Latvian position, well, we joined NATO in 2004, by the time when uh, war began in, in Georgia. Uh, we were among very few NATO allies that strongly supported uh, both Georgian and Ukrainian membership in NATO. Uh, but we were not able to get through our, our, our position, or our line. It's a, alliance of many nations and, uh, and, and decisions should be taken unanimously at the end. There were many uh, members of the alliance against uh, both Ukrainian and Georgian NATO membership that year. I think that was a mistake. What was done, we still believe it, it's a mistake. Uh, the, what, what's happening in Ukraine it's, it's nothing new for us. I, I, I think we have been always among the most skeptical or more, more, most realistic uh, 
members of the alliance assessing what was happening, what was, dri what was driving Russian foreign insecurity policy in, in, in Russia's neighborhood. So the Russian invasion in Crimea, and it's invasion, it's, 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 it's not civil war, it's, it's aggression, uh, didn't come as a surprise to us. Uh, in parallel, uh, I must say that already immediately after the year 2008, uh, after the Georgian War, uh, Russia learned that basically she can get along, along with, well, invading neighbors. Uh, she can get along with still keeping good relationship with the West. Just a few months after this war came not only interesting European initiatives on, on European on, on the relationship with Russia, but as well reset policy. And Russia learned that, well, these things really West does not take seriously. She can do whatever she pleases to do. So that, that was done. Immediately, what, a second lesson what Russia learned in 2008 was that Russian military capabilities were very, very limited. Army was not in a good shape neither psychologically nor militarily, although they won the battles, but at what cost? And in 2008, they, they started huge investment program in their military forces, uh, uh, in our new armaments, uh, remilitarization of Russia began. Expense, expenditures, military in Russia went up immediately because they understood with that kind of army, they cannot do anything. When you look what was happening in Europe, expenditures on country went down, and we are where we are. And uh, that's and what we have seen just across our border, well, lots of military activities, military exercises, rapid in uh, increase in numbers of overflights about the Baltic Sea of Russian military planes with turned off responders. So basically, they are threatening civil aviation. Uh, just recently, there was an, almost an incident very close to Copenhagen airport because Russian planes are flying. Well, they're international zone, but if they're not responding properly, the civilian pilots cannot see these planes. And that's quite a risky, dangerous business. But they are doing that. Uh, they're showing, well, that well, they have more resources these days. They can do what they are pleased to do. And I think that, that mistake, 2008, not inviting Georgia, the country that was really fighting together with our boys, American boys, German boys in Afghanistan, fighting and dying there, and not invite just because there were some sensitivities in Moscow. I think that was wrong, wrong policy. And what we are facing today, it's, it's, it's a consequence of that. Uh, so, Latvia, like much of Europe, is heavily dependent on Russian energy, and I was wondering um, what Latvia is doing to diversify, uh, to sort of break that tie as much as possible. Um, I think we are very close uh, in our region uh, that uh, this very close means two years uh, situation when we have enough independence on availability of different uh, energy resources, not only Russian, but as well 
anybody who would be interested to sell something or keep something in the Baltics or would be mostly welcome. Uh, we are all day today. We have functioning uh, integrated electricity market between Nordic countries and, and Baltic countries. There are number of cables, underwater cables, laid down in between Sweden and Lithuania, Estonia, Finland, They're connected in, the, in one grid, and companies and consumers can choose what kind of electricity they, they, they are buying. Either they're buying electricity from Latvian supplier or, 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 or Finnish or, or, or Swedish. So basically it's kind of stock exchange of, of electricity that's created in the region, and, and that's good. We have market on electricity. We are not any more dependent on Russia. What is missing is natural gas. It's and in some countries in the Baltics, not all countries have the same level of dependency on Russia. There are two countries in the Baltic Sea region that are 100% dependent still on, on Russian energy, on Russian gas, natural gas. Uh, one, well, it's Latvia, and, uh, and you might know the second. It's Finland. It's Finland. Uh, Latvia and Finland, two countries that are 100% dependent. Uh, good thing is that in, since we joined the European Union, it created dramatically the uh, <coughs> dynamics within the EU. There are two positive things what we had gained from our membership first. Uh, finally, EU is implementing the very same acts of legislation in whole territory of EU when it goes to, to uh, natural gas uh, market. So basically, we have to open our natural gas market by year 2017, and Latvia is doing that. We have we don't have natural gas as a resource, but we have huge. Uh, storage facilities. We can store huge amounts of gas, either American or, 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 or Middle East or, or Russian, whatsoever. Whoever would be coming, well, most welcome to do that. The second thing what EU has produced, uh, finally, EU had created funds, financial resources, to invest to build missing infrastructure, especially for those energy islands as, as Baltic countries and Finland that connects, that would be connecting us with the rest of Europe, Poland, Germany. Uh, that is important because before we joined the EU, our economies were very small. There was no private interest uh, really to invest and build missing pieces of infrastructure. And now it's solved. And the area where I think personally Nordic and Baltic countries have failed to cooperate properly, strategically, it's uh, natural gas business. Uh, proximity to natural gas uh, fields in Norway, uh, the distance-wise from, from Latvia or, or any other Baltic state, is not bigger than from Latvia to any, any of Russian gas fields. <coughs> there are plenty of natural gas in, in Nordic Baltic region, but we haven't managed because of, I think, different strategic priorities and unwillingness of private sector to invest and then inability of country like mine to implement 100% EU legislation when it goes to opening of gas market. We, we didn't succeed 
and now it's coming. And in two years' time, I think it will be over. It will be done deal. I'm not saying it will be easy. We are facing huge battle with monopolist Gazprom next two years. But I believe we'll be on winning side. And that's, I, I, I think that's the most important strategic thing for Latvia these days. So, maybe, maybe the very last question. Uh, last two questions. <laughs> <laughs> has attracted a number of, of uh, very high level and high quality journalists uh, coming to, to Latvia because of, of they are not able to work in Russia in current circumstances and, and Latvia is just across the border uh, they have done many interesting things there and uh, they are there already for instance uh, there's interesting internet uh, channel of information like Medusa uh, it's, it's Russian-made, uh, Russia's Russian-made uh, 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 information uh, channel, and, 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 and that's very important in, uh, thing to, to, to read and approach if, if people are interested in Russian politics these days. But when it comes to uh, the European-Russian TV channel, or uh, we don't believe that it's possible to create pan-European Russian TV channel or kind of Russian CNN or, or, or what we can do, we can improve the quality of our programs nationally. We can cooperate with Estonians or, 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 or other Europeans on producing programs and we can find partners in the United States. That we can do, but there's no appetite for, for, for kind of single European Russian TV channel in Europe these days. It's okay, I think we're out of time. <laughs> okay, but thank you so much.